Have you found 2 Corinthians chapter 10 yet? Well-known, often quoted spiritual warfare passage. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down the stronghold, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I'd like to talk to you today about appropriate warfare. Can we say appropriate warfare? This verse has been used for some things that I don't think really are appropriate. Taking airplanes up in the air and bombing spiritual strongholds with balloons filled with anointing oil. Things like that. Ridiculous. Praying big prayers and commanding spirits of darkness to flee. When, if you read Romans chapter 1, God allows darkness to prevail where people turn from him. He subjects the earth to futility so in hopes that they will see the results of their sin and turn to him and repent. God forbid that we pray away the results of people's sinfulness. They never will repent. Think about it. So we want to do warfare that is appropriate. And I think a key to appropriate warfare when it comes to this text is looking at the context. To understand any text, we must look at the context. And you may have heard this verse preached from many times or have it memorized and might be thinking, oh great, here we go again, hearing something I've heard before. But stay with me. I don't think everyone has heard this approach by looking at the context. Some have said that perhaps... 2 Corinthians 10, 11, 12, and 13, those four chapters could actually be 3 Corinthians because Paul changes his tone. I think he wrote this as part of this document. Those that canonize the scriptures, I believe, research that. But knowing the length of this letter, he probably wrote it out on more than one occasion to collect it all. In this particular setting, Chapter 10, 11, 12, and 13, I think he wrote it in one setting because he's dealing with division. He's dealing with an attack against his character, his position, his authority. They're even making fun or questioning whether or not his physique is something God could use and the sound of his voice is something that's appropriate. Uh, Obviously, he must not have been a Clark Gable. must not have been a... Very handsome guy. And he must not have been a Pavarotti. His voice must not have mesmerized thousands. But God used the man mightily. And to me, if he can use Paul, he can use anybody. He was a little guy. It's believed the Apostolic Fathers, if you look at some of their writings, he's a little bow-legged guy is what they said. The name Paul, the name which he took on, means little one. And so looking at the context, verse 1 says, now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He's pleading with them for their benefit, not for his. Who in presence am lowly among you, that's what they're saying about him, 
and being absent and bold toward you. But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. All right, the day would come when he planned on being there face to face, and if there was still problems in the church, he would deal with them. But in the meantime, he's going to try to deal with it with this letter without personally attacking people. You see that? I beg you, verse 2, that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intend to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. And then there's the passage we're going to look at today. And then verse 7 Do you look at things according to the outward appearance? If anyone is convinced in himself that he is Christ, let him also consider this in himself, that just as he is Christ, even so we are Christ. He's appealing to them on their common ground. You're a believer. I'm a believer. The things these people are doing isn't something you would just do towards an apostle. You wouldn't do this towards a believer. Verse 8, for even if I should boast somewhat more about our authority, which the Lord gave us for edification and not for your destruction, I shall not be ashamed, lest I seem to terrify you by letters. For his letters, they say, now here he's quoting his detractors, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Let such a person consider this. That what we are in word by letters when we are absent, such we will be also indeed when we are present. He's willing to directly rebuke them face to face. Now, he helped establish this church and he kept connections with them and wrote them letters of correction and direction. And thank God he did because the body of Christ is still reaping benefits from the wisdom that he imparted to this church. But there were some that wanted power, playing politics in the church. He's not here anymore. He's a little guy anyway. He's got a squeaky voice or a lisp or whatever the problem was. Talks through his nose. You know, whatever his problem was. Seeking to diminish his influence so that they could gain the upper hand and use people for their own gain. These kind of people are still out there today. They've, some, some succeeded in starting cults that are still with us to this day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to us from your word today, that we would gain an understanding that we've not had before and that we would be reminded of those things that we already know. In Jesus' name, amen. In the last four chapters of 2 Corinthians, from 10 to 13, we can see that Paul is responding to some pretty heavy criticisms about himself, ranging from the way he looked and the sound of his voice to more spiritual things like questioning his authority and even his credentials as an apostle. And so in these four chapters, he's writing a defense for himself, not for self-gratification, but for their own good, so that they could take the wisdom seriously that he's giving them. From our text today, we will read that he is not going to deal with these fleshly attackers with fleshly means. That is, he was not going to encounter them by pointing out their personal flaws. You know, hey, dude, you're no Robert Redford. But rather, he was going to reveal the truth about himself. 
thus exposing any errors that were being spread and misleading others and giving them a chance to repent, even the misleaders a chance to repent. Later, he would deal with those who were unrepentant and divisive while face-to-face with them instead of through what was for real snail mail. In the meantime, there is this famous passage we're looking at today, often quoted when dealing with matters of spiritual warfare, that I think Paul was practicing himself while having to be absent from this offensive situation for a long while. Questions. When dealing with human relational conflicts, how can we fight appropriately? When dealing with relational conflicts, how do we not make matters worse? What should we do if we are unable to bring correction to such scenarios? When someone refuses to reconcile with us, what should be our strategy? Do they have a right to hold us hostage? While living in relationship limbo with some, maybe those we love very dearly, how should we live? This text beautifully shows us the way of appropriate warfare when dealing with those thoughts, and yes, even evil spirits that would attack us when we are under attack, that can potentially permanently divide us from one another and those we are called to serve. So it's important that we heed what the Word says this morning so that we can taste the fruits of reconciliation as God brings those things to pass. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, our text begins with. Our text ends with verse 6, being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Based on how verse 6 is translated in the King James Version, from the start we need to say that revenge is never an option. The strong word Paul used, ekdikeo, ekdikeo, can we say that? Ekdikeo, translated as revenge in the King James and avenge in the authorized version, can also be translated to mean vindicate. It's interpreted here in the New King James as punish, which I believe is speaking of the correction Paul would potentially bring later if the troublemakers would not repent. You can check it out with other translations. I think it bears it out more beautifully that this is what he was saying. This is speaking of church discipline issues where there could come a time when someone would have to be asked to leave a congregation for a season if they refused to repent because for some there must be consequences for misbehavior. Otherwise, they will not repent. We are all about mercy. We should be people of mercy. If we err, we want to err on the side of mercy. Right? But if you have your own company and trouble is coming to you from a person you've employed, you might have to fire them to put a stop to the sowing of discord in your company. This would not be revenge per se, but rather a necessary measure under your authority for the good of your company. Yes, but I'm a Christian, and they may never become a Christian if I fire them. Well, have you given them mercy? Do they know you've given them mercy? Yes. Then fire their behind. Because unless sinners reap consequences for their sin, many of them will not repent. Why go through bankruptcy? Because you let some guy rip you off. No, there is a place of authority to exercise it. And there is a time 
While we do want people to repent of their evil ways, lest they not be allowed into heaven because of lifestyle sinning, you know, liars are not up there. Doesn't mean people in heaven have never lied, but people that make a lifestyle of being liars can't go up there. Heaven would become earth too. We must never walk in revenge or live to avenge, nor gloat when those who hurt us suffer. So redemption is what we're after in dealing with relationships. Whether it's dealing with the church as in Paul's case, but I think this applies to our own life. Romans 12 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think a balance to that verse is there may come a time where the police have to be called. <laughs> there may come a time where you have to exercise your authority for their own good so that, that that could be the best thing you could do for them in the long run. In today's sermon, I want to talk about what we do when we do not have any real options for dealing with the disobedience of others, or the Lord will not let you take such measures yet, as was Paul's case here, being away from this worrisome congregation. This is warfare because the enemy is at work behind the scenes. We are not at war with the hurtful person. We're at war with an enemy that wants to bring us down. For though we walk in the flesh, Paul admits he was a little guy. He had, you know, he wasn't a physical specimen. And with all the beatings he'd taken, no doubt he was very unattractive. We do not war according to the flesh. Though we walk in the flesh, We do not war according to the flesh. Although I'm a frail man, although I'm an unattractive guy and my voice is annoying to some people, when it comes to dealing with the enemy's strategies, it's not me. It's a spiritual thing. So my first point, remember, our real conflict is not with people. Your real conflict is with the enemy that wants to distract you, get you on a path of revenge, hold you in bondage to unforgiveness, make you captive to yourself. I personally believe if a church ever goes through seasons of division, the most dangerous member in that church is the pastor. Because he's at war with himself to keep himself on guard. And Paul is walking a beautiful line here. If you read these four chapters, it's beautiful what he's doing. He's defending himself without attacking people or calling them names or anything. He's just simply stating the truth. Remember, our real conflict is not with people. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, Hebrews 6.12 says, but against principalities, against powers against the rulers of the darkness of this age, 
against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul was an instrument of God to advance the kingdom of God. Jesus came to bring peace to men, but war to the enemy. Everywhere you saw someone healed or delivered or forgiven, it was an act of kindness for the sake of humanity, but it was an act of war for the kingdom of darkness. I love the promise. Who's been to see the promise in Glen Rose? They try to show both sides as best as they can. There's always the enemy in the background. So that's what was happening. A war. And so we're part of the same war. Paul was part of this same war. And he had to fight appropriately by keeping in mind who the real enemy was. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshly. They're not human. They're not manipulation or name-calling or counter-slander. They're not. We are called to be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, going out as sheep in the midst of wolves, fighting with weapons that the world does not know of. Our weapons that we have are not to be used against people. If Paul got to this church later and he would ask these troublemakers who refused to repent to leave, it would not be against them. It would be for the benefit of the church. Also for their benefit. So that they could miss being part of a loving community. and could see the error of their ways and come back home. So it's not against people. Ephesians 6.13 tells us, goes on to say, Therefore take up the whole armor. Can we say whole armor? Whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Who knows we're living in an evil time. Evil day. The good news is there's the evil day in which we live, but then there's evil days which we often go through. The good news is there's seasons. Seasons of conflict. Remember when Jesus faced the enemy in the wilderness? He overcame those three temptations. And the Bible says that Satan departed from him until an opportune time. So Jesus got a break from warfare. There are breakthroughs that come. And the same weapon that won your last battle will win your next one. He's not very creative. And having done all to stand. Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. In this particular warfare situation in 2 Corinthians 10, Paul was just making a stand for truth. Letting the Lord fight his battles, but he used the weapons that he was to use and guarded his assignment, which was to be an apostolic influence at the house of God in the city of Corinth. Our text goes on to say the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. Can we say our weapons are mighty? mighty. They're mighty in God. Somebody may need their rear end kicked. And God can do it if we stay out of the way. 
Stay out of the way. Our weapons are not to be used for us. Paul's approach to the situation in Corinth wasn't just to heal up his damaged ego. He had grown so mature. This was for their benefit. Guys, I'm an apostle. I didn't call myself to this situation. I'm pleading you that my authority is not for your destruction. It's for your good. It's for your edification. So our weapons are not to be used against people, and they're not to be used for our benefit. We're not to profit from this. It's to be for the benefit of the kingdom of God and for the benefit of people. Having done all to stand, verse 13 says, and then verse 14 begins, Stand therefore. Having done all to stand, stand. Having girded your waist with truth. Hold on to the truth. It will take you through any battle. Every conflict has lies in it. Hold on to what you know is true. If you start countering lies with lies, man, it's going to be used against you. And sometimes in standing, just being quiet is the truth. Or tells you to be quiet. You have a right to remain silent. It's one of our rights, right? Having put on the breastplate of righteousness, our righteousness is not earned by us. It's bestowed upon us. We've been imputed with the righteousness of God. It's been credited to our account. We all know that our sins have been forgiven. It's a wonderful thing to be forgiven a great debt. But it's also a wonderful thing to be credited with great riches. It's great to have a zero balance, no longer in debt. Praise the Lord for the day you pay off your house. It would be awesome, even better. But on top of that, you've got an abundance. That's what righteousness is spiritually. We've been given an abundance beyond forgiveness, righteousness, to guard our hearts. And having shod your feet, with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We are to walk in peace. The good news of peace is Jesus paid it all. The gospel is what He did for us upon the cross. And the punishment my enemy deserves, Jesus took upon Himself. And I must walk in that. Be prepared to stand in that truth. The person I can't stand, He loves just as much as He loves me. And above all, taking the shield of faith, Never stop believing with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes of peace, good news of peace, the shield of faith. We can quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, these things thus far are defensive. I don't really see weapons here. They are, they, they are our protection. Take the helmet of salvation. That's protection. I know I'm saved. If you doubt your salvation, I encourage you to not try to learn anything else spiritually till you understand you are saved and nobody can take you out of His hand. He doesn't have you in His hand like this. He's got you in His hand like this. No one can take you from His hand. Now here comes the weapons. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 
The word of God is truth. The word here for word is the word rhema. It means a specific word. When in battle, what word has God given you? If not, continue seeking Him. He'll speak a word to your heart. Hold on to it. In your last battle, what word brought you victory? That word will bring you victory again. The enemy's relentless become more relentless. He's using the same temptations, use the same weapons to win. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. I believe we have two weapons at our disposal. The Word of God, the truth, and prayer. You can go shopping and find all kinds of books on spiritual warfare, hoping to find some new secret. But I'm telling you, it's going to come back to these if they're good books. The truth and prayer. If someone's lying about you, hold on to the truth. Keep pressing in prayer till he gives you the answer. A breakthrough comes. Being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. A spiritual battle fought with spiritual weapons wins spiritual victory. Eternal victory. We fight on our knees. I have a great illustration. I don't know if anybody's noticed that the last few months I've had a knot on my wrist. Who's noticed that? A calcium deposit about an inch in diameter, about a half inch high. So it was like somebody took a a one-inch rubber ball, cut it in half, stuck it under my skin. You could move it around. I pushed on it. I had received prayer for it, and it just wouldn't go away. My mother had something like that on her wrist. When I was a kid, she received prayer, and it was gone like the next day. Thursday, I was in here in prayer. When I pray, I take all postures just to keep myself awake, and sometimes it, my postures put me to sleep. But, you know, I can think of no better way to fall asleep than fall asleep praying, right? My feet were over here, and my head was over there, and my arms were like this, and, and my right arm was underneath that chair, and I could feel the knot. As, as this hand laid on the carpet, I could feel the knot on the carpet. I could feel it, this foreign thing in me. And so I began to focus on that on prayer, and I pushed on it like I'd pushed before. But this time, as I pushed, that sucker began to dissolve and go away, and it's gone. It is gone. What challenges are you facing? Keep pushing. Pray till something happens. P-U-S-H. Pray until something happens. Keep praying. Keep pushing. Keep fighting the real battle. Pray for your enemies. Keep praying until something happens. And in praying, he may eventually impress you what to do. But until he does, just stand. In my case, he impressed me to start pushing on this thing like I had before. And I began to push it and rebuke it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The stronghold is a place of safety. The name of the Lord is our stronghold. But when it comes to the enemy, the enemy has strongholds. That many times these strongholds are in our own mind. The way we were raised. 
the vows that we made in our heart. I'll never be like my dad or I'll never let anybody push me around. And beliefs that we form to help us feel better about our wounds. Jesus wants to heal our wounds. We don't have to self-medicate by forming some kind of belief that nobody's going to treat me this way again. I mean, we're called to be persecuted. It's going to happen. So how do we walk in freedom? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. What is the truth if someone slights you? The truth is we're going to be slighted. Pray. Receive the grace that you need. During these four chapters, Paul brings up a thorn in the flesh, something he prayed about numerous times, and it was no breakthrough. And the Lord told him, my grace is sufficient for you to live with that thing until solution comes. Pray until something happens. Bring down that stronghold. Well, nobody's going to talk to me that way. I'm just going to quit my job. Yeah, and then there you are to a life of poverty. How's that working for you? Hold on to the cross. People are going to disrespect us. They just are. Paul was being greatly disrespected. And his dealing with this issue wasn't demanding respect, but reminding them of the truth. Hey, things that are being said about me are not true. Here's what's true. I'm going to stand up for myself. Okay. How's it working for you? There's standing up and standing, but then there's standing up in the flesh. Years ago, some people didn't like me very well, and they said some mean things about me, and some things they wouldn't even tell me, that I was going to be out of here, I wouldn't be pastor her anymore unless I repented and they knew why I needed to repent and I knew why I needed to repent so they weren't going to tell me why I needed to repent. It was like they just soiled on me and then walked out of the room. And it intimidated me. It bothered me. For weeks I couldn't shake the thing. And I went to a prayer center and just said, Lord, I need some help. And he impressed me the next morning to get up and go to a Bible bookstore and directed me to buy a book by John Revere called Breaking Intimidation. I read that book in one setting, and here was what I needed to do. I needed to go into the bathroom in that prayer center, look in the mirror, and say, Alan Latta, you know this is a bunch of bull. You know, you know who you are. You know you didn't put yourself in your position. You know the history. Now stand and get rid of this crazy feelings. Just rebuke them. Tell yourself the truth. What was bewildering to me was when people were being mean to me, this was a long time ago, God seemed to be silent. You know, I ran to him in prayer and he didn't like, oh, you poor baby, come to me. I'm going to give you visions of heaven. No, he just left me there. It was time for me to grow up. When your child falls down, you run and catch him. But eventually you have to take your hands off. You don't want to always be a helicopter mama. You know what a helicopter mama is? Every time your child has a problem. Every conflict your child has on the playground, you're out there. There comes a time where you just kind of have to pull back and, and let your child grow and develop. And so I had to stand on my own two feet. 
and say, this is a bunch of baloney. Fight, take up my weapons and fight. That's what I had to do. The darkness left. Suddenly I could hear God again. Why? Because his frequency was up here, not down here. His frequency was up here, not down here. And in that victory, not one time did he say an unloving thing about an unkind person. Not one time did he empower me to counter slander somebody. I mention it today because I feel great love in my heart for all those people, and most of them have come back and reconciled, and all kinds of neat things have happened. The weapon I needed was the truth. To use the truth. Speak well of yourself. It's not bragging, not being an egomaniac, but what's the truth about you? Are you a total idiot? No. No. You're a man of God. You're a daughter of the King. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Hallelujah. So if you take the time to read these four chapters, you'll see Paul stating the good things about himself, how God has used him. His testimony. What's your testimony? We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. The word of our testimony. Loving not our lives even unto death. If they kill me, I'm going to still speak truth about myself. Not bragging, but speaking the truth. Pulling down strongholds of pride, strongholds of fear, strongholds of stubbornness. Well, I'm Irish and this is just the way I am. Nobody's going to say things about me. All you're going to do is spread the decay and make it worse. Your crucifixion has been arranged. Embrace the cross. Hold to the truth. Our conflicts will often be with our own mindsets. The lesson for me to learn wasn't about others. It was about my own self. Stop being a baby and man up. Begin to walk in confidence. Our weapons are not carnal. They're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments. What cast down arguments? More arguments? No. The truth. That's not true. Here's the truth. I may be a little guy with a squeaky voice. But God called me to be an apostle here. And I'm telling you guys the truth. Casting down arguments with the truth. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. We have to watch out for the high things in us. Our own pride that will try to exalt itself against trusting the Lord to win our battles. You see that? Bringing every thought into captivity. This is what we have to do. This is what Paul was doing. He was bringing his every thought into captivity while he couldn't get to those people. I mean, this thing could have tormented him beyond measure. But he wrote this letter of truth, and as he's writing it, he's bringing every thought that's coming against him into captivity. No, those, they, they belong to Jesus. And I'm not going to walk in hatred and retaliation and slander myself. Aren't you glad he did? As a result, we have a book. Bringing every thought to captivity, to the obedience of Christ. Was Jesus' thoughts obedient? Not my will, but thine be done. What was going on in the garden? He's taking captive his thoughts. How dare these humans treat me this way? I've done nothing wrong. I have 
done nothing but good things for them. I have said nothing but the truth, and now they're going to mistreat me. How dare? And Father, I'm your son. What's going on? No, he, I must obey. Not my will, Father, but your will be done. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. I believe this is what Paul was going to have to do if there wasn't some repentance. So there may come a time in your conflicts where you have to make room for Jesus in a relationship. Not cutting people off permanently, but making room for Jesus so that they can't spread their infection. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I pray for my brothers and sisters. Lord, in a setting like this, people are facing all kinds of things in their life. And I don't know how this word applies to each and every heart, but I pray, Lord, that your presence, your Holy Spirit, would apply this truth to everything every person is facing. In every scenario, Lord, empower them, encourage them today, Lord, to hold on to what is true and to press through in prayer until the victory comes and to not do anything unless you lead them to do it. In Jesus' name. Jesus name thank you Lord I love warfare songs you know we're pulling down strongholds all that stuff but I tell you when you're in the midst of it it's more than just doing this with your arm it's on your face doing this with your thoughts Lord I give them to you he knows what to do with injustice he put it to death on the cross And our part is to let him be God in every situation and be obedient to him. I'd like to sing Wonderful Maker and let this be a song of warfare. He took dust and made us. He gave his son and redeemed us. And he can take any situation you're facing and turn it out for good. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, these He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Romans chapter 8. So sing this. I want us to worship God as our Maker. Assuming that posture is an awesome act of warfare. It just is. Spread out the sky over empty space. Said that there be light to a dark and formless world. I was born. To a dark and hopeless world, the sun was born. Made the world and saw that it was good. Sent your only son for you.